Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Andrew, there's excitement in the air. Huge excitement. We have the second leg of Sligo Rovers versus Motherwell tomorrow live on League of Ireland TV streaming but uh, the UEFA Europa Conference League Rovers lead 1-0 Andrew this is the biggest game in the club's recent history it's really? I mean it's it's so enormous and I'm really excited about it where did you say it's available streaming where on League of Ireland TV so LOI TV is that to- is that readily available in the United States yeah, you'll have. I think you you sign up and you you pay a one off fee for it. I don't think it's very much for mm-hmm. the just for that one game, and then you can stream it to your TV. Well, I'm out. <laughs> I don't blame you. We're paying for everything now, but I can't. Uh, I've already so Mother will streamed their own game. Um, now maybe you can check Paramount, um, and Paramount CBS will have it on the on Roku online, whatever. But I checked last week and they had like 10 games with teams I'd never heard of and none of them featured Sligo Rovers and Motherwell. Motherwell streamed their own game uh, last week and I paid them £12. 12 of the Queen's pounds. Really? Yeah, I had to see it. I had to yeah, see it. Yeah, I mean, for something like that, you, I, you probably would. I mean, what would have been your number where you would have stopped at? 50? Uh, I'm not paying 50 for one game. No, I would have. Not even a game uh, of that important. Now, I would listen to it on the radio. Okay. 50 would oh, have okay. seemed a lot. All right. And also, well, they weren't I, I expect- just wanted to find the number. Yeah, they weren't, ex- weren't expected to, to... They hadn't been playing well going into the game, and they put on a, just a mega performance and scored a super goal. And now they're 1-0 up, and, and now the nerves really start because you got something to lose. And um, like advancing to the next round, they'll play the winners of Viking of Norway or Sparta Prague. So that's... You know, that's hundreds of thousands. I mean, I think they got like something like 300,000 uh, for winning the tie over Bala Town. So the the, uh, the first round tie. Okay. So this is this is just huge money to, to a, a small supporter run club. Well, I'll be rooting. I'll tell you that much. Thanks, man. Um, should be a fun pod we have coming up for you here today. A little bit later on in the podcast, we'll get into England's big win over Sweden and the um, women's European Championships. 4-0. We'll talk a little bit of a couple MLS things. Tati Castellanos, we've been hearing about it for, it seems like months now, but it's finally official. He's going out on loan to Girona. We've got some Everton to discuss. You have another edition of things we saw on the internet, um, which I'm sure will be uh, will be enjoyable as well. So uh, It was a huge hit. Huge hit from last week. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad. I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, I thought it was fun. People did love your your editing your music editing skills they love the jingle <laughs> well i enjoyed putting it together i just want to make people happy i'm a people pleaser and i'm glad that it was well received but let's start jj in manchester where cristiano ronaldo you saw the clips of him driving his team into carrington uh, where he was to meet with eric ten Hag. as the saga continues as to where he'll be playing club football this season now tell me how you feel about how the situation is transpiring because for me it's weird on on almost multiple fronts like try to follow me here from like so Ronaldo is desperate to leave we'll start with that element of it or at least that's how it appears to us 
Um, but, like, does he know something we don't? His whole thing is he wants to leave Manchester United. He wants to play Champions League football. Like, is there a club out there that's been identified that will have him that's in the Champions League? Like, I've been racking my brain. I mean, up to this point, no. I don't know if, like, Sporting Lisbon would want him to come back to Portugal. Like, I don't know. Would he value playing in the Champions League that much where he would play in kind of a, not one of the top leagues necessarily versus playing for Manchester United in the best league in the world? Um like I know Atletico Madrid had been rumored as a potential destination, but like that doesn't sound like it's going to happen. Did you see, by the way, the the scathing statement that the um, Atletico Madrid's International Union of Fan Clubs put out about even the rumors of this? No, I didn't. Here's just an excerpt of what this what their official fan group put out. Uh, they said, quote, even in the highly unlikely hypothetical case that a player in steep decline such as Cristiano Ronaldo could guarantee us a trophy, we wouldn't accept his signing. The sense of being a part of our Atletico feeling isn't within his reach, unfortunately for him, and as such, he could never receive our affection as recognition, or uh, affection or recognition. As such, we ask the club to reject his possible signing if it has indeed been considered at any time. So well, the fans are not in. I just don't know. Like he's desperate to leave, and and my question to him would be, okay, well, where are you going? Well, exactly. Um, he doesn't seem to have grasped the situation that, you know, although he. The reports today were that wherever, and I'm, I'm, I suppose this is to kind of sweeten someone into the idea of, of, of even considering signing him. He said he would be willing to take a wage cut, so that would be down from the half a million pounds sterling that he's getting at Manchester United. Um, Atleti's president said the deal is almost impossible, even though there was a rumour, or talk at least, of some kind of a swap with Antoine Griezmann, who once upon a time was one of those signings that Manchester United were going to do or, or were, were rumoured to do until he went to Barcelona. Oliver Kahn at Bayern Munich, not that this was ever an option, but he said, Ronaldo is a fantastic player with a fantastic past. So that kind of feels like a a closed door there. And I, I, I just don't know how it would work. Um, you know, the CR7 summit yesterday, uh, apparently Alex Ferguson was there. Definitely not to talk to Ronaldo. He he just had to be there, uh, anyways at Carrington. But I mean, Ren- I mean, it's interesting that they're getting Fergie in to help out with this because it's at such an impasse now. I, I'd say Fergie was in there to say, "Look, you know, just honor your commitment to this contract. You, there's no way out. Nobody wants you, and and we we just can't get rid of you." So I mean, both sides are stuck here. I, I well, can't that, see, yeah. I can't see a scenario how he gets out of this, really. And so, in that case, he's going to be with Manchester United. Now, I don't believe that Ten Hag sees him as a... Like, that he definitely wants him to be there. I don't believe that to be the case. Well, that's the other side of this that I wanted to talk about is, like... So, I'm confused on the Ronaldo front because I don't know where he thinks he's going. And on the United front, I'm just a little bit surprised that they're so hell-bent on keeping him. or so Or so it publicly appears. Well, it's not so much... Yeah, hell-bent on keeping him or just realists in a world that we can't get rid of him? I feel like that's more more likely. And so try to make the most of this year. The, the additional year won't be activated and they can get rid of him next summer. Maybe they're just being complete financial realists, Andrew. It's, it's amazing because it's like, it's like a middle 
to low income family has been given a Ferrari and been told they can't sell it, but they, they have to use it. So they, they have to put gas in it. They have to insure it. They, but it's really completely impractical. It doesn't work for bringing the kids to school. It's not big enough for the shopping. It's just a completely impractical situation. And Fergie should be there to clean it up as he was one of the architects of creating it this time last year. Yeah. I, I wonder also, JJ, if like... If United, if it's almost a last ditch effort, these conversations that they're having with him of, look, like you want to leave, but there's not a club that you that is readily a- appears to us that that will have you, especially a, a Champions League club. I mean, maybe this is their last ditch effort to convince him to change. Like, if you buy into what we're saying, you know, maybe we can do great things here with you. I like, mean, he t- he is still like he showed last year; he's still capable of scoring goals, but. You know, the, the end of his career, I wonder if, if you see this analogy at all, JJ. Like, the end of Ronaldo's career to me is starting to look a lot like the end of Kobe Bryant's career with the Lakers, where, like, still a legend, still, like, admired and revered by everyone, but he had become, Kobe had become the sort of player at the end of his career where, like, his second to last year in the NBA, he was 36. He still put up, he still gave you 22 a game. But if you were building your team around him, they won 21 games and lost 61. Like, you, that's you, exact- you were never going to be, you couldn't be good anymore. It was still cool that he was there. But, like, if winning was the priority, it, it, it wasn't going to work. And I that's feel like exactly that's kind of where we're headed. Like, yeah, Ronaldo, he's still a legend. Like, it doesn't change the fact that he's a legend, but if you're going to build your team around this guy who's not necessarily going to buy into doing all the things that, that are going to be asked of him if you want to win trophies, then, like, th- there's kind of a ceiling as to what you can achieve. And there's a manager who's trying to set in a, a style of play and a, a specific function for the team, and he just sees a guy that won't be involved in that. And I don't and- see him being willing... Like, if Ronaldo... If, like, Real Madrid came back to him and were like, all right, look... Like, if you come back here and you're willing to conform, maybe you you know you're not in every you're not starting games for us. Maybe you're a guy who comes in for like in the 75th in the last 15 minutes. Like, if he was willing to change in some way, maybe at Real Madrid, where like realistic hopes of winning a, a Champions League, if he were to do that, we're all, that's on the table. But is he going to do that for Manchester United, who aren't playing in those competitions, who aren't loaded with with players that he probably believes are better than him or even on his level? I don't think I just don't think it's going to happen there. Yeah. The, also, the positions are rather the competitions that Manchester United are in are the reason he doesn't want to be there. He wants to play Champions League football. Um, yeah, it's 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 going to be very curious to see how this one works out. Now, maybe uh, Eric Ten Hag is a better coach than I think he is, and that he can somehow find a way to to make this all work with Ronaldo for one season. Maybe, maybe he knows he has some idea, but I I feel as if United are being realists. They're saying we can't get rid now, so we make the best of a bad job. And Ten Hag is saying all the right things. Because don't forget, Ronaldo is a big enough star, a big enough person to torpedo any club. He's huge. He's one of the few players you could say has the status where, well, no player is bigger than the club. Well, he might be. Mm-hmm. He might be. So Ten Hag is doing the right things. He's saying the right things. Um, but it's just a situation. It's a situation that never had to happen. If Rio Ferdinand, Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, and maybe Ed Woodward had kept their oar out and left football to the manager. You know, I mean, 
Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will tell you, oh, you know, you don't turn down Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't know about that. <laughs> like, look, we'll never know what they would have been had they not signed him. Oh, I don't think they would have been spectacular. Right. I mean, and, and if it came out later that, well, well, they could have had Ronaldo, we would have like what would we might be sitting here thinking like, wow, that team had a chance at Ronaldo and decided that we're going to stick with what Solskjaer wants and Ronaldo's not in his play. Like, like, well, Solskjaer, Solskjaer will deny it. He'll say he say he absolutely would sign Cristiano Ronaldo at any moment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. But I mean, so much of it seemed to be fueled by the fact that there was a sniff of an interest from Manchester City, which I mean, just is not a good way. No. To to frame your recruiting policy. By the way, I we could go around the houses on this one. We're gonna. This is gonna develop. He didn't train yesterday. He went in for tests. That's a good sign. At least he's at the club now. Um, and I guess we await those pictures of him on the training field. Ten Hag gave uh, Ronaldo a debrief, according to the Athletic, uh, about the um, the tour that he wasn't on. <laughs> so uh, I guess that's uh, that's another little factor here. So I, the manager has met with him at least, um, and and maybe maybe they find a way to make this work, or if not work, at least be bearable. Because I just I can't see where he lands. On another note, Andrew. I need you to hit the Discipline Daddy drop. There's a new daddy in town. A Discipline Daddy. Oh, yeah. Yep. So it's this time of the year. Where we hear about the Discipline Daddies. And we hear it almost... With regularity about new managers, there's always a set of rules that have been set down, and Eric Ten Hag has been no different. There is going to be no my no mobile phones in certain parts of the training ground and at certain times. Mobile phones, cell phones. There's going to be no personal chefs anymore, Andrew. This I love the, this. This is the discipline, Daddy. They're so all gonna. It, there's get, there's more than that even go on uh, he has like it seems like one of his big things like if you really want to infuriate him show up late to something that appears to be his big thing uh in the athletic there was reporting the ten hog considers lateness as a quote symptom of slipping standards um there was one report where while they were on tour a player who was not named uh was supposed to feature in a game on that tour, but was wound up being dropped because he arrived late more than once for a meeting in the build-up to that match. I mean, this is straight from the Roy Keane book of the bus is leaving if you're late and you won't be on it. I'm, I'm curious about this. Instinctively to me, all this stuff matters. This stuff is important. But it being an exact, correlation with what happens on the field because I feel like if Ten Hag had gone the other way Andrew say United win their first three games of the season now with this disciplined daddy backdrop mm-hmm. people will say ah he's setting the standards you know you can see it on the field well those, Equal- he's a culture changer and they right. need, and they desperately need that well equally and, and and that does that does line up with what we've heard in the over the past few seasons about that United camp which, among other things, I hope he's put some kind of prohibition on leaking stories to the press because that's that's one of the things that needed to be solved. But the the other thing is that if he had a more relaxed attitude and they win their first three games of the season, 
Ten Hag's relaxed, hands-off attitude has led to dividends. <laughs> I mean, you're no, right. For- we, we definitely allow results to dictate our perception of the manager. 100%. Um, but, but we're coming out and saying this before any results have happened. Like, True. games haven't been played yet. He's come in and, and changed the or is trying to change the culture. Um, and I think I'm going to say now that this it's better that he be this way than the other way. I think this team needs some, a voice like that, like a, a, just some kind of commanding presence that is clearly in charge of the situation. I, I agree with you. And I actually really like his start. Seeing him like absolutely bollocking players on the training field. Mm-hmm. Uh, shouting during games, being very clear in his instructions, and also his great ability to not tell the media very much in his in his press conference. So far, I haven't got anything out of it. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's a good start. And it appears that their pursuit of Lissandro Martinez has finally come to fruition. It looks like that was it, done. I mean, I thought that was done last week. I thought so too, but I just saw something this morning that said it's done now, and it looked like a new story. I think it was on the BBC that I saw it. So I, I don't know. We, it's good. I mean, I know we had talked about Ten Hag kind of reaching into his basket of players that he was familiar with, but I think, um, yeah, I I do think there's something to a manager bringing in guys that he knows that will fit into the system that he wants to play, guys that he trusts. I don't think he would like if he's trying to set a tone and bring in a certain culture, and it's a guy that he knows that he's bringing in. I would trust that he's not bringing in a malcontent or a guy who's going to be a problem. You know, right. It's probably somebody who will who will do the things that he's asked and set the right example for other guys. And I, so I think it's a good move. Look, they need help in defense, certainly. Uh, so I think it's I, you know I think um, for a team whose whose summer started slowly, not a lot of moves. You know, suddenly you're seeing some good ones pile up. Erickson, Martinez, uh, this manager has done a good job so far. So I, you know. Three weeks ago, United fans were like, what the hell is going on here? I think the, the feeling around that club today is maybe a little bit different. Again, it's all preseason, but you're trying to read into whatever you can to make certain determinations about where someone are said Someone said online that um, preseason is like a Rorschach test. You see whatever you want to see. It's true. There's some truth to that. Uh, finally, to put a bow on this, JJ, if you had to guess, just, just guess, to go back to the Ronaldo thing, where is he playing this year? How's this, how is this going to go? Manchester United. I think so too. I think so too. I don't know how he'll be. Like I don't know if if they're if United are just going to have to cope with a disgruntled Ronaldo. That's kind of my prediction. Um, oh, a restless Ronaldo. Duh, that wouldn't be good. That's that's sort of how I think it's going to be. I don't know that Ten Hag is going to force him in if that's not what he envisions every game. We'll see. Who knows? Uh, let's see. Let's move on to Chelsea. JJ. Uh, Another situation that appears to be unsettled. This is a quote from their manager, Thomas Tuchel, who says, I cannot guarantee we will be ready for the start of the season in two weeks. It's the same players, so why should anything change? We will see, hopefully, development, but at the moment we have the same issues because we have the same players. He is not happy with how this preseason is developing uh, with this current team. Yeah. What's that, uh, in terms of transfer talk parlance, uh, would this be sending a message to the board? I think it would be. Um, so that, I, I think so too. I think that is what's happening. Part of that, I understand. Part of that is kind of funny to me. The board can't, like, lasso Rafinha and force him into the club. Like, Chelsea can only do so much. 
they they wanted Rafinha, they wanted Delict. Apparently, these guys didn't want to go there. That wasn't their first choices. So Tuchel can be mad all he wants. He can be mad at the board. I, I don't know, but like, what else are they are they supposed to do? If guys don't want to come play there, if that's not Rafinha's first choice, if he's always dreamt of playing for Barcelona, well, that's that sucks. That's too bad. Yeah, and it looks as if they've lost out again. Uh, Jules Koundé mm-hmm. from Sevilla will be, <laughs> again, Barcelona. They, they probably did not anticipate Barcelona being willing to spend like this. £46 million pounds sterling, uh, according to the Daily Mail. Incredible, really, because they can't seem to ratchet up the seventeen million that's owed to Frankie De Jong, but they can definitely get forty-six million for for a new signing. Uh, that situation is just unbelievable. Um, but just to just to circle back on onto Tuchel's comments, I, I'm going to give like Tuchel is frustrated. I'm not sure. You know, I cannot guarantee we will be ready. Chelsea will be will be ready. They'll they'll still be in, in good shape to start the season. What happens after that, I I don't know how the season plays out. I was listening to um you know it's preseason when I'm listening to Chelsea podcasts. Um I was listening to Straight Out of Cobham mm-hmm. uh on the Athletic and you know they were talking about how you know he, he is frustrated. Um they were saying that you know there's there's players st- I mean there's five weeks left in the transfer window and that, you know, Chelsea will be working on other targets. Um, and, and I do think that's part of the problem. You know, we're not just talking about a change of ownership. We're talking about a complete gutting of the system of identifying and bringing in players for the manager. I mean, that's all gone. The sporting director now is Todd Bowley. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy who, you know, he, he knows so little about football. He wouldn't know if a football was pumped or stuffed. And he has to learn on the fly about all of this stuff. There's no Granov Sky anymore. There's no Bruce Buck. All gone. So the, the kind of systems above Tuchel that he needs aren't really there. Um, also, I was reading the Dominic Fifield, and he was making the point that, you know, this is still a team that is loaded with Lampardian and Sarian players and that Tuchel really hasn't had a chance to, to make it his own. They won the Champions League in his first few months. He'd done a phenomenal job to whip that team into shape after the mess they were defensively under Frank Lampard. But at the same time, is it truly his side? And then bang in the middle of the time where he should be kind of molding what he wants out of this side, there's a change of ownership and a change of structure. So I can understand why he's being uh, frustrated. Yeah. Or he feels frustrated. This is from The Athletic. Tuchel's been in charge for 18 months and only has three permanent buys not including free agent and third-choice keeper Marcus Bettinelli that have been made. Two of those buys just happened, Koulibaly and Sterling. And the other was a player that we don't even know if he really wanted in Romelu Lukaku. So, yeah, so it's it's challenging right now. And I'm... Can you name, JJ, the, the last Chelsea player to score 20 goals in a season? The last Chelsea player to score 20 goals in a season? Yeah. Ooh. Um, in all competitions... I think so. I, Morata I didn't, did Morata get near that? Mm, that's not what I have here. No, probably not. Go on. Uh, Diego Costa. It feels oh. like a, it was in 2017. Feels like a long time ago for a club like them. Talking about the aforementioned, yeah, and 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 things, uh, you know, seeming like a long time ago. 
Uh, I was listening to the podcast. I had to check the date on it. Apparently for the first, uh, for the preseason game, not the last one against Arsenal where they were beaten heavily, which would, would be very upsetting for Tuchel, but um, the, the Charlotte game where they lost on penalties. Mm-hmm. I mean, Michy Batshuayi was involved in that. Right. Ross Barkley, Kennedy. So I wanted to talk about that. So going back to Tuchel's comments, I've been trying to kind of wrestle in my head with how I feel about him. Um, and ultimately, my answer is kind of a lame one, but it's just how I feel. The truth is I, I, I kind of feel two separate ways on this. For one, he is being dramatic here. Like, this is only preseason. He's making huge inflammatory statements based on preseason results. Like, we've kind of, you and I have cautioned people to not do that very thing. And here, a manager of a club is doing that very thing. Like you said, maybe it's to send a message. Maybe he really is pissed at, at his players and doesn't believe in this team. I don't know. But like like you just said, he's rotating the squad as he should. Like uh, Simon Johnson, the athletic, he noted that the Ch- uh, Chelsea have played three preseason games and Tuchel's basically used 22 players per game. It's not their team. You know, so he's saying we won't be ready, but like the, the team that he's put out there is not really the team that you're going to see. They'll be different once he's using his actual first team. Yep. Uh, now, so suppose- like, that's, that's the dramatic inflammatory part. I think from a preparation standpoint, Andrew, though, you know, they've just taken a 4-0 Tonkin. It's the Florida Cup. Who cares? Um, but they've taken it from a team in Arsenal that have been, you know, very proactive and have got a lot of their business done. Yeah. Uh, they have they have one more friendly against Udinese on Friday. And then it's 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 go time. It's action stations. Well, that's the other I, part of this, which I was going to get to, is that, like, so part of him is being dramatic, but there's also part of this where he's – He's kind of not being dramatic in the sense that, I don't know, I'll ask you, like, does this, look at this Chelsea team, what they were last year, any changes or upgrades or, or downgrades even that they've made so far this summer? Like, does this look to you like a team that can contend for major silverware? No. I, I don't think I, so either. I tend, to, I tend to agree with a lot of the things I've seen written is that this is a team that's probably aiming again for top four. Right, so if his, <laughs> if his job, if the expectation that's placed upon him is to win the Premier League, as presently constituted... I don't think that's a realistic possibility. Like, look around. Pro- C- City and Liverpool were miles ahead last season. Nothing has happened there to narrow the gap. City have added Holland. Mm-hmm. I mean, Liverpool lost Sadio Mane, but they added Darwin Nunez. And then, like, keep looking down the table, though. Uh, Tottenham only finished three points behind Chelsea last season. Conte's now had a full offseason and transfer window. They've added Yves Basuma to a strong midfield. Depth, Perisic, Richarlison, Longley. Jed Spence is a wild card. He might be a star for them. They haven't really lost anyone of significance. So you'd have, like, if, if the gap a year ago was only three points between Chelsea and Tottenham, I think Tottenham have, have made that up. And Arsenal, for whatever we want to say about them, they were only five points back of Chelsea a year ago. Jesus, Zinchenko, Fabio Vieira, they lost Lacazette, but I don't see that as a huge deal with what they've done. So, I mean, to me, that this is now the fight that Chelsea are in. Like, I don't see them in the Liverpool City class anymore. They're with the others. Um, yeah, but the, I, again, I would say there's the mitigating circumstances. I, they are in the full, uh, the full moment of of a transition, and they're trying to figure that out. Uh, they have that, I suppose, amount of time where they can bring in players, and I expect them to. As long as they don't keep getting gazumped by Barcelona, but I expect them to get players in. By the way, they play Tottenham on August fourteenth, mm. so your money is going to be where your mouth is very soon, my friend. Oh, well, we'll see. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, do you know. disagree? No, I, I, I don't disagree. I, I think Tottenham are in a stronger position right now. Um, I I think Chelsea go into this season with plenty of doubts. I, I'm, but I'm, I'd be shocked if we don't see much more like serious action from them in the market over the next five weeks. And what we're hearing is that the consortium that owns them is 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 seriously trying to get things done. So yeah, I guess we again like so much of this we have to watch this space. Remember that brief period of time where the transfer window ended when the season started. Glorious. It was. It really was. What a time that was to be alive. Where you just had to make do with whatever kindling you had to yeah. make your fire. <laughs> but that is a problem for Chelsea, though, that a lot of teams around them have done business early. And that has not... I mean, look, maybe I'm downplaying. Sterling and Koulibaly is not nothing. Like, there's a lot of teams that would sign those two players and think, okay, we're good. Like those are that's Those are hugely important additions to a team. So it's... It, it's not fair to say that they have not improved or they haven't changed in any way. That's that's a big deal. But look, a lot of what we're taking here is, is words out of their manager's own mouth. It's not just you and me saying this. He doesn't think they're ready. So We'll see. I mean, it's worth noting that last season they weren't exactly where Tuchel wanted them to be and they were still capable of frustrating the life out of Liverpool on four separate occasions. And, um, you know, still capable of being in the Champions League, should have beaten Real Madrid in the Champions League and gone to a, you know, they could have been in the final, potentially. So, I know that team isn't the team that's playing right now, but, yeah, I I, I honestly don't know. I think uh, if you have doubts, those are fair. And if you're positive about Chelsea going into the season, that things will change and they will do more business, I think that's fair too. Yeah. We're going to have our, um, I can't believe I'm saying this, we're only a week away from doing our actual full Premier League preview. Community Shield is on Saturday. I can't believe we're here already. It does not feel like um, it does not feel like an off-season occurred, but we probably say this every year. But every year, I bring this up, JJ, A, to get people on the lookout for that, and B, we always talk about uh, one of the questions. We always go through our 10 questions for coming into the season, and um, one of them is usually which manager we think is going to start out the season on the hottest seat. Um, doesn't necessarily mean who's going to be the first to get fired. That's kind of a different question. But who's kind of under some pressure to begin? Tuchel, I think, is, is on that list. Like, I don't think so. Uh, this, is a, this is a new ownership. They have no attachment to him. He's not their guy. But they're aware he's, of, they're he's already, aware of, the, he, of he's what's He's already happened. complaining about the squad. Maybe his philosophies are not aligned with what ownership wants in terms of players that they're considering. I don't know. He would, I don't he'd th- be on my list of a guy I don't, under, under I some really pressure don't think early. So. I don't think so. I think this is it. They're trying to bet in as owners as well. The, the They do not want to add immediate instability. I suppose it, it matters how the season pans out, but it won't be an early sacking. And I don't think he starts on a hot seat. I really don't. The, Having said that, this is the longest period Chelsea have been without winning uh, a title since the start of the Abramovich era. Premier title, yeah. So, yep, Uh, it's going to be very interesting. Very interesting. I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead. 
collect ourselves, take a breath. We'll come back. We'll take a break. And uh, a little bit more on the other side, JJ, some stuff from the Women's European Championships, a little bit from MLS, a little bit from Everton. JJ saw some things on the internet that he wants to talk about. So still a lot to do here on Caught Offside. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside, JJ, a, a PSA that uh, I just saw. Newman, the leader of the animals on Reddit, uh, he wanted us to uh, to let listeners and fans of the show know that uh, there's, um, I guess they're doing another fantasy Premier League in the Reddit group, and so if people are interested in getting in on that, other fans of the show, uh, check out the uh, the Caught Offside Reddit page, and there's information there that. Uh, can help you get involved if you want to play fantasy Premier League against other caught offside listeners and fans should be fun I know they were they were super into it last year we would update the scoreboard every once in a while on how it was going um, so I would say get on that because the season starts pretty soon absolutely get over to the reddit it's a fun place to discuss uh, this podcast and the the topics we talk about and it hasn't one year on it has not descended into some kind of dark and awful right wing four chance <laughs> That is that's a success. Yeah, you're right. That's true. That's a good point. It's a generally speaking, it's a happy place. Yeah, there's one guy who's always sniping in there, but he's okay. mostly ignored. Like I go in for a little look every now and again, and I do laugh at some of the things that are said. And also, like it it keeps me in check. You know? Oh, you like, find that to be the case? Uh, yeah. Sometimes they say things, and I'm like, yeah, I did sound like an ass there. <laughs> but um, but there's one guy in there who just constantly like just sniping away i mean i think he's one of those which is fine you know people who everyone does it everyone hate listens or hate watches something i bet you i I bet you now maybe you shouldn't spend time doing it but there's something that annoys you or you find it so bad that you actually that's the reason you watch it or listen to it do you have something like that andrew sort of uh virgin river on netflix my uh my wife was watching it and i came over i was kind of doing work i said what is this and like there were certain parts where i was like i I, like the the unintentional comedy of certain scenes now i say that new i guess new episodes just appeared and i was quick to tell amanda i was like oh new virgin river so like slowly it sucked me in but it kind of started off as what you're talking about yeah i've um (laughs) i used to uh occasionally i haven't done it in a long long time but to just get that feeling of oh i would uh, i would listen to the glenn beck podcast oh (laughs) i wasn't expecting that i know um i used to dive in there and um it it wasn't even anything political it was just when the guy would try to be funny he's just i go oh i'd recoil (laughs) um so yeah that's my that's my weird one so maybe that's a better example than mine yeah that's um That's what some. That's probably what this guy uh, listens to us for, for that reaction. Good old. Sometimes it, hey, the things we, that repulse us make us draw us closer. If we can be someone's hate listen, then uh, I don't care. I suppose when, in it's some fine. Reason, yeah. Uh, let's see, JJ. Here's what caught my eye on caught offside. One day I will sit down and make an open for that. But uh, at this point, they're just words out of a mouth. <laughs> Uh, obviously, the European Women's European Championships, 4-0 England into another final, um, following suit of the men in European Championships last year. 4-0 over Sweden. Really pretty interesting game. Um, I would say England sustained kind of a tricky patch to start. Sweden hit the crossbar 
on a corner kick. Uh, 25 seconds in, they were in on goal with a chance to go up 1-0 right out of the gate, almost right like right off the start. Uh, they had another opportunity where they kind of cut England's defense open but didn't materialize, forced a good save still out of Mary Earps. But, uh, but England sustained all that. And, I mean, you and I talk about this. Sometimes this game is just simple in the way of one team finishes their chances and the other one doesn't. And yeah. once the snowball started rolling, where England got that first goal, a real—I I mean, that goal from Beth Mead was really nice. She's been amazing in this tournament. That was a gut punch because I think Sweden thought they were playing well, and then to see themselves go down one nil, um, I think that hurt. Uh, but like they recovered, went into the locker room, still one nil. Then the second goal, Lucy Braun scoring that quickly at the start of the second half. I mean, I know it was only 2-0, not necessarily insurmountable. That felt like a finishing blow to me. Everything after that, including what might have been the goal of the tournament so far with Alessio Russo's back heel, um, it all felt like icing on the cake. The second goal that quickly in the second half, I just at that point I said, okay, they're not losing this game. Yeah, the more I've watched this tournament, which I've enjoyed immensely, um, the more I think that England have just got more killers. You know, yeah. And that sounds ridiculous when you've got a player of the – of the profile of Stina Blackstenius in your side, but England just look physically, um, athletically. Like when England get a chance, I feel like they're going to take it. I don't feel that that, that same way, maybe with the exception of maybe Germany, but I, do, I haven't felt that way. I didn't feel that way about Spain. For all the pretty football Spain played, England were the ones that got it done in the end. Once they got that sniff of a goal, uh, and England seemed to be able to beat teams in different ways. You know, it could be a, a diagonal ball to Ellen White that'll get knotted down. They'll have runners on the end of it. That's what, what I talk about in terms of their, you know, their athleticism. But Mead and Hemp, if you get that ball to them in the channels, in space, they'll beat someone. They'll open up with a good, their crossing is excellent and they'll create chances and they just seem, they just seem deadlier, Andrew. And I, I fear that, uh, it may be coming home. Oh, whoa. That's a big statement from you. Uh, yeah. The the Alessia Russo goal that I mentioned, I was curious for your take on it. Because part of me, so when I watched it, when I saw it in real time, it was one of those, some of my favorite goals, the, the gasp out loud goals, where it's just a yeah. genuine, it's just a human response to seeing sure. something. Like that, that goal fit the bill for me. Then I saw a replay and I thought, ooh, I wonder if the goalie actually should have done better with that. Maybe that's true. But there's also part of me that sympathizes with Sweden's goalkeeper on that play, just in the sense of, like, who thinks she's going to do that? And she got a lot of pace on it. She did. Like, I mean, look, it, it still threw her legs. Um, but, I, like, I just, if I'm goalie there, I'm just not thinking, like, okay, I need to be ready for this this back heel from that angle with a defender on her. Like, I just, I wouldn't be expecting it. And so, no, you know, she I guess I understand, like, the slow reaction. Yeah, and, and she... She got set too late and it just squirmed in under her. And I say squirmed. It went in at some pace. And I do think that it. she she caught it so... Russo caught it so perfectly with her heel that I don't I don't have a go to the goalkeeper in this. Um, can we hear from uh, Magdalena Eriksson? Yeah, because sure. Because she was just so extremely disappointed. But in her disappointment, she kind of summed up what happens if you don't score against England before they do. Uh, I'm very disappointed, of course. Uh, there's a lot of emotions at the moment. Uh, an extreme disappointment, but it's a tough one to take because I think we we started the game really strong and really well and we, we could have been one or two nil up after 20 minutes. And when you don't score, when you don't take your chances, when you don't 
when you don't score when you have momentum it's, it's tough it's difficult the timings of their goals their two first goals are, are really crucial for them in, the, in this game um, and it just became too much uh, of a challenge for us once it was 2-0 I mean that kind of sums it up for me really Andrew England yeah. England and momentum is a big thing because I mean once they got that that they were completely out of it against Spain. Once they got that goal, though, they kicked on, Andrew. And they, and they, I'm not for a moment suggesting that they are actually fitter than the other teams that are playing, but it certainly feels like it. England finished so strongly. That's a, that's a huge advantage to have. I wonder, is some of that playing at home? The like, energy will, from will the it, crowd? Yeah, will that, will that carry you a little further than if the crowd you know, is against you? It might. It certainly seemed to in Brighton and for the Sp- for the Spain game. I mean, it can't I mean, it can't be a coincidence that teams playing in major tournaments at home generally do better than when they're not. Like it's, you know, that's kind of proven. Yeah, there has to be something to it. I'm not I'm not trying to downplay. I'm not trying to say that like England aren't good and they're just carrying this wave of enthusiasm. That's not true. This team is great. I mean, they've gone deep in the last three tournaments that they've been in. Um, so like they they belong here. No one should be no one should be shocked by it. But if you're talking about you know looking fresh at the ends of games, still, I wonder if, if some of that can play a role. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, well, we're looking, we're staring down the barrel of it's coming home, Andrew. That's what I, I can't get out of my mind. And I, the only, re- I mean, it depends how the other semifinal goes. Uh, today. Yeah, we should say we're recording this prior to France and Germany. Yeah. I think it needs to be Germany to come out of that one. I don't see France. Ah, France were very good, though, as well, at times. Just say you don't know. It's okay. It's freeing. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I Like, France really did impress me against the Netherlands, Andrew. Like, there was times when they just, like Cascarino in particular, when they, they played some flowing stuff, but I think it's coming home. Oh, my God. Reading on the BBC, JJ, since uh, this manager, Serena Wiegman for England, took over, um, an unbeaten run of 19 matches. They've scored more than 100 goals. Uh, Beth Mead, we're talking about culture changers with Manchester United, a Dutch manager changing the culture at United. Now it's one, a Dutch manager changing the culture with England. Uh, Beth Mead talked about how the big thing under this manager is that it's not just a plan A and then, uh oh, there's a, a plan B, C, D. Like they, they're always able to adjust. Um, you know, there was talk about that specifically against Spain when, yes. they, when they needed to. Uh, and, and it's shown through. Football365 had a withering article about how Wiegmann's ability to, to change in game and to tactically be flexible is in stark contrast to what went before her in Phil Neville. I mean, I will never, ever pass up a chance. No, no, you really won't, won't you? No, but I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was, um, there seems to be uh, a growing kind of respect for what Wiegmann is doing uh, um, for England and, and her ability to, yeah, to be kind of flexible and, and tactically astute. Yeah. Well, like we said, France, Germany uh, coming up uh, a little bit later today. So we'll know by the end of the day who England will be facing in that final. Should be fun. Either one of those matchups, England, Germany, England, France, they should both be good. Looking forward to that final this weekend. Uh, JJ, MLS, here's what caught my eye. Tati Castellanos, no longer with NYCFC. We knew this was coming. Now it's official. He's on loan. Not a not a transfer, but a loan to Girona. Um, a couple angles to this. First off, I mean, you know, maybe he didn't have 
the longevity of some guys at NYCFC, although he was there four years. Um, but he's got to go down as one of the most important players in the history of the club. I mean, essentially, the, the best player on their first championship winning team. Like this is this is a really significant figure in the history of NYCFC. I'm a little surprised that a 23 year old, so a pretty young guy. I mean, 23. He's still not quite in his prime yet. I think you could say, coming off a Golden Boot in a title winning season for MLS, can only get a loan to a club just promoted from Spain's second division. That's a little bit surprising to me. Um, well, well, d- don't forget that this. When you say it's a loan, he's transferring branches to another branch of CFG. So maybe they have a long-term plan with, that involves him staying within that that organization. Well, maybe. Uh, but F- but the Felipe Cardenas I mean, t- uh, tweeted this: Taddy Castellanos will do very well in Spain, but a one-year loan to a small club for the top striker in MLS is very underwhelming. Yeah. Uh, Tom Bogert pointed out they were looking for $15 million and those offers just didn't come. Uh, that surprises and I'm, me. And I'm a little surprised. I'm yeah. surprised because I heard Leeds were very interested. Well, it was South America, I think, in, in the Brazilian league they were looking. Was it Palmeiras? I'm trying to I think it might have been Palmeiras that they were had wanted him. $15 million in, would had, be too had, much there. Had wanted him initially, upped their offer, but never reached the, the threshold that um, – City Football Group, I guess, we're looking for that fifteen million dollar price tag, and so interesting. Yeah, a young player like that with with a, a proven track record, I'm I'm just a little bit surprised that uh, this is how it played out. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I think part of the reason that this is only a loan and not a buy is that maybe if he goes there, plays well, uh, there's still a chance that they could. F- you know he'll still be young enough. He'll be 24 next year. Maybe that asking price is still within reach if teams once you know actually see him do it in Europe. Yeah, um, and so also the market. Knows. You know the market is still recovering from COVID, so another year, another season is going to make a big difference in 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 what revenues teams can put before uh, put out there for recruitment and and maybe maybe people do balk at 15 million for a guy who's proven himself in a league that some people still see as inferior yeah i'm sure yeah look it's not i don't want to make it sound like that asking price should have been met with just like just like that like that is a significant price to place on a player uh in mls i'm not you know that's not lost on me um i just thought highly enough of them that i thought maybe somebody would have would have been willing to shell that out but i guess maybe i'm not maybe i shouldn't be quite as stunned that uh that that didn't happen from the nycfc perspective i mean this is weird. This is such a weird season. They're second in the East. It's just like not a normal thing for a team in sports like to be that good and lose their manager and best player all within a few months of each other. Um, but that is now what they're dealing with here. Um, it's a, this is you know this is a big challenge for Nick Cushing to have to figure out on the fly. I guess you know Hebert will probably shoulder some of the burden. Um, I'm interested in Talis Magno. If, if he'll kind of change positions a little bit, move a little more centrally from out on the wing where he was. Uh, but I, I love his game, and uh, I'll be curious if he kind of takes the reins here and becomes more of um, a reliable goal-scoring threat as opposed to a guy who's usually maybe playing a little bit more of provider. But this is it's, I don't know how this NYCFC season is going to go. It's like they should have been a, a, a true contender to repeat, and maybe that will still be the case, but it, it feels a little bit harder today to envision that. Definitely. Um, one other MLS thing I wanted to mention, Gareth Bale, JJ, opened up his account with LAFC. Came on, scored. Um, class, he did. You know. Ran at a defender, scared the life out of him, twisted him into knots. And then 
that defender, I think, somehow had unsighted the goalkeeper because it, the ball wasn't traveling terribly fast, but he, he slid it home. Um, it, it looked... Uh, I think we're going to hear a lot of that. Gareth Bale coming off the bench, scoring for LAFC. I think that could be a thing. Um, can I talk to you about a couple of things before we leave MLS? Yeah, of course. Uh, not quite MLS, but uh, Canadian Championship final yesterday. Andrew, it was 1-1. Uh, Vancouver versus Toronto. Vancouver won at 5-3 on penalties. But there was a bit of skill from some of the new Italian crew that have rocked up to Toronto. Bernardeschi's cross uh, for the opening goal was just, uh, for Luke McNaughton's goal, was just absolutely just outstanding. Mm. Outside of the boot, a thing of beauty, something where you go, now was the Vancouver marking good? No, but it was such an audacious piece of skill. And look, Toronto are suddenly, and, you know, obviously with the injection of talent gone into the team, they are just very fun to watch. I mean, what they did to Charlotte over the weekend was, it was horrifying. It was great. (laughs) If you hate Charlotte, sure, or love Toronto. Uh, Up 4-0 at the half. Um, The new signings, Insigne, Bernadeschi, just like immediately acclimated. Like they've been there for years. Um, really incredible. And everyone's favorite American scoring twice. This was the the fourth goal of the first half for Toronto. Wins it back. Mark Anthony K. Insigne, lovely ball into the path of Michael Bradley. Bradley going all the way! Wonderful from Toronto FC. Lorenzo Insigne at the center of it. And Michael Bradley has his second goal. Just a, a total destruction. Um, boy, the, their playoff chase is going to be really, really interesting. I don't know if there's enough time left in the season for them to do it. Uh, they'll do their best. I think they can do it. Um, by the way, I want you to refer to him from now on as beloved American soccer player. And look, I, I hope people are taking it the right way when we say these things. Like, we <laughs> we were never... I mean, what would you? what's an accurate way of putting it, JJ? We were never the haters of him that... For whatever reason, a lot of American fans out there, like there's a lot of listeners. We were to show we that, were agnostic on the whole Bradley thing. I wouldn't. I don't think I was agnostic. I didn't. I didn't really get it, to be honest. Why people felt the way that they did about him? The vitriol was something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another issue, uh, not related to MLS, but kind of. Uh, Luis Suarez, he's not on his way to Inter Miami, and the rumor that was circulating over the weekend that he was going to. Los Angeles Football Club was proven to be incorrect yesterday. A statement from from Suarez and from a tweet, rather, from Nacional of Uruguay said there's a pre-contract agreement and he will be returning home to play for them, which I did not see coming. And, Is it wrong to be disappointed about oh, this? Oh, for God's sake. It's not wrong to be disappointed, but it's also, I think you should temper that disappointment with isn't that a really nice thing? Well, that's why I ask, is it wrong? Because, like, my disappointment is purely selfish. Your feelings are your feelings, you know. Like, I'm <laughs> – There's a. let's put it this way. There's a lot of soccer out there, JJ. We try to follow as much as we can. But Suarez going off to play in Uruguay, to me, he's he just retired. So his the possibilities of you know all things going well for Nacional, who have won the Copa Libertadores before. How about 
a run in the Copa Libertadores. That won't. All right, I guess that's fair. If if they do some if they do some damage in that tournament, then okay, he's come out of retirement. But as ter- in terms of like where he's playing domestically, it's I guess this is me bidding farewell to to Luis Suarez. Yeah, and I'm sure and a lot of people feel that way about when certain European players come to play in MLS. So I understand the like the, the innate hypocrisy of what I'm saying coming from an American soccer fan. But it's I, pretty I, I'm stunning. Nothing, I'm nothing if not honest, JJ. You are, but you are a kind of a snob. You don't act you, like you're going to be watching this this guy on a week in week out basis. He no, just retired for you too. I I I like that he's gone there. Uh, sure, like it would have been really cool to be able to rock into Red Bull Arena and see him run around. But um, yeah, I maybe. Know, maybe are... I mean, think of the possibilities of how many times he could have bit Chiellini again. <laughs> just gone. Uh, just one one other thing uh, domestically, Andrew. Uh, real quick, before we move off Suarez, it should be noted that the Sounders actually have his discovery rights, which is a rule that I don't know how I feel yeah. about. It's so, basically you you look at someone. It's like uh, it's like when you're in the playground and um, you put uh, put dibs on something. That's mine. Right. So if he were to come to MLS, the Sounders basically have right of, of your first refusal. If another club wants him, they'll have to deal with Seattle. If if it were to ever come to that, but I don't I don't see that happening at this point. Um, and yeah. uh, also, I mean, U.S. Open Cup tonight, JJ. We sh- I should say that too. Um, Orlando City SC against New York Red Bulls. Red Bulls had a thriller, four three over the weekend over uh, Austin and um, Sacramento Republic against Sporting Kansas City. So if you're rooting for the little guy, there's your one to follow. ESPN Plus seven thirty for the first game and ten thirty for the second game. That'll yeah. be fun tonight. Yeah. Oh, just just circling back. Uh, so you said Seattle have the discovery rights on Suarez. Mm-hmm. Didn't um, am I getting this right? Didn't Suarez cry or weep openly when Ladero was injured and couldn't join up with Uruguay for was it the twenty fourteen World Cup? I think he did. That I that think they, sounds I think familiar. They, they have a relationship, I think, from 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 certainly from either Ajax or Nacional. Um. So maybe it was Nico Ladero said, "Let's make sure we have discovery rights on my on maybe. my amazingly talented friend." There could be something to that. I mean, yeah. not that it's any secret. Hey guys, I want to tell you about this my, a countryman of mine. He happens <laughs> you may to be have really heard good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a, a Suarez video doing the round from when Liverpool led the Dirk Hoyt hat trick in um, I think it was 2011, 2012. At Anfield and um, Suarez on the first goal. It's it's honestly Andrew. It's like playground stuff. The way he twists four United defenders, including Michael Carrick. He was he, he was Liverpool. He played like Liverpool. Everything of that era was Suarez. The whole game plan was was Suarez. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I sometimes feel like because maybe he didn't quite have the longevity there that some other Premier League greats had within the league. Um, I sometimes feel like his dominance gets a little bit forgotten when we go back and think of the great Premier think League so. players. Um, yeah. But let a, let this serve as a reminder. He was ridiculous. He was completely Rid- ridiculous. Outrageous. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what's our last item in this segment before Everton. we get to the, the oh, segment that everyone wants to sweet, talk about? Sweet, sweet, gentle Everton. <laughs> JJ, what, I mean, so we were actually recording while the Minnesota United FC destruction of Everton was going on. So we weren't able to comment on it. We were, uh, as we were wrapping up, I was starting to get text messages from my Everton friends 
asking if, if we were all watching what was happening there. So we're only now getting the chance to speak on it. And since that game has happened, Everton have actually beaten Blackpool 4-2. Um, but they lost 4-0 to Minnesota United FC. And I think the question that people are trying to grapple with in the wake of that is, what is the line between it's just preseason and I'm genuinely concerned. Now, we kind of talked about this a little bit with the Tuchel stuff, with how he's perceiving his own club, Chelsea. Um, It's a little bit different for Everton because of how bad they were this past season, Yeah, how dangerously close they were to going down. So I think when they stayed up, there was almost this hope of like, "Ah, okay, we did it, reset, let's take this momentum into the next year. And that may still happen, but... When you come off of that and then you lose 4 0 to Minnesota United FC, there has to be at least a little bit of like a seed of doubt planted in people's minds of just like, oh God, no, we're, we're actually still really bad. This is still, we got lucky last year. This is still a big problem. The, the cooling balm of that amazing finish to the season has slipped off the skin. And now the burning, itching reality of where they're at has come to the top of. Um, Everton fans are scratching nervously is what I'm awkwardly trying to get to. Got it. This is, this is bad and it's worse when the manager comes out and sounds as concerned. Lampard has sounded in mid-season, just lost three on the bounce concern. You know, he was talking about losing Richarlison. Again, the veiled message to the board, not really veiled at all. The, the sending a message just like Tuchel you know, we haven't got anyone in. They've only got James Tarkovsky in. And, uh, and, and Ruben Vinagre, who on, okay. uh, on loan from Sporting Lisbon. Decent All right, well, decent acquisition. But, but yeah, they've lost essentially their, probably their best player yeah. to Tottenham. And Lampard does not seem, he kept saying in it, in his comments, you know, a club like us in the position we're in, we need to strengthen. We, I, I'm paraphrasing, by the way. We need to reinforce. And he's right. He looks, he is right. They looked so kind of, I don't know. I mean, they missed chances, um, sure. How do we when describe they, the chance that Deli Alley missed? Um, it's, uh, it's one of the worst uh, I've ever horrifying. seen. Uh, it's honestly one of the worst I've ever seen. Now, he did score against Blackpool, so he, he might have scored twice, actually. I'd have to go back and check. but I mean, I would be making massive excuses for... Deli Alley, if I was to say that that cross against Minnesota was, he maybe ran a tiny bit beyond it, but he, I mean, it's that's a, not. it was one of those where it was harder to miss than to make. Yeah, the net was right there. The angles were just all in his favor, and uh, he made a, an absolute mess. Yeah, look, it's it, it really. They this is a huge five weeks for the club now. It's it's enormous. They've got to um, they've got to get players in. They've got to figure this out. And quickly, um, because I don't think with the players they have, they'll be in any different position from what they were last season. I just can't see it. I just look at the team and it's 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 scary, man. It really is scary. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Uh, all right. One more thing. Oh. One, one quick one quick thing. Uh, you asked a very pertinent question and I feel like a bit of a because I I slapped it away two weeks ago. You said, hey, what's going on with Newcastle? Uh, they seem really, really quiet. Why aren't they doing anything? And I kind of batted it away and said, well, they did spend $100 million in the winter. And it was just such a, an easy, stupid answer from me without really any thought. Uh, Martin Ziegler tweeted this today, and it's doing the rounds. Uh, Newcastle United can get the cash due from Premier League 
for the 2022-23 season up front after signing off the right to the money to HSBC in return for a credit facility. So this is a company's house filing shows. So basically, mm-hmm. Newcastle are getting them, making themselves cash rich right now without taking anything from their massive PIF Saudi investment fund. They're taking it directly based on future on the earnings for the 2022-23 season in a deal with HSBC. So that means that they've got money right now, Andrew. And so get ready for the tidal wave. Is that kind of what you're saying? Maybe, maybe they're about to get very, very active. Okay. Interesting. Or they're loading up for January. I would imagine it's probably for the for the coming five weeks. So basically, what you're saying is, when I bring it up, it's oh, whatever. What does he know? But when Martin Ziegler brings it up, then it's oh, we got to stop the podcast and talk about this. No, it's basically I'm apologizing for not paying due care to an interesting point that you made. Okay, and being this is called being magnanimous, Andrew. I don't do it very often. I do not accept. Let's close out the podcast now, JJ, with a little bit of things seen on the internet. I'll check the web. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present to you the internet. I went on the internet this week, and I found this. Tell us, JJ, what did you find? It's awesome. Oh, my God. The first part of the internet that we're going to, and don't forget that the internet is a collection of tubes, okay? We're going to go to the most used tube, the YouTube. Um, there's an account called Sky Sports Retro. Subscribe to it, guys. It throws up gems from the Premier League past every now and again. And randomly as well. It doesn't have to be associated with that day or month. Uh, they posted a classic piece with Sir Alex Ferguson discussing a freak incident where he maimed star midfielder David Beckham with a flying football boot. That was a, an incident which was a freakish... If I tried it a hundred times and a million times, it could not happen again. If I did it, I'd carry on playing. <laughs> anyway, having said that, uh, contrary to the contrary to all the pro- reports, David did not have two stitches put in his head. He had no stitches. So it was a graze, and it's dealt with with the doctor. There was no problem, and we move on. And that's all there is to be said for it. Hmm. I mean, he wow. did have two stitches. I remember this well. It was after uh, United lost to Arsenal in a game where Ryan Giggs missed a sitter. It was an FA Cup game in February. Uh, I mean, Beckham combed his hair back and made sure he was wearing an Alice band when he was driving into training the following day or the days after. And he had two of those uh, paper fly stitches in his head. Looked like Frankenstein. <laughs> Not quite, but... But still. A very handsome Frankenstein. Uh, do you know what's so funny about that? First of all, it's Fergie and the way... Like when he's told the media, I'm not ask, uh, answering any more about this. I mean, he's a player in the locker room has just got cut open by a boot the manager kicked. And here's Fergie shutting down conversation of this story. And not just any player, David Beckham. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know? And then the second thing, nowhere in there does he apologize. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> There's no contrition. Yeah. Oh, the man was an animal. He was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, next uh, piece is from Elgin City FC. Elgin City, a lower league football club in Scotland. Andrew, of course, you wouldn't know about them because you have no interest in the working class. Arguably the best football picture ever taken at a football match. We would love to know the name of this supporter so he can get some free refreshments at our next match. It is 
It's an unbelievable picture. It's a freeze frame of a stray ball that has been rocketed at a, a woman who is diving to get out of the way. But it hits the young man beside her who is carrying what looks to be like tea or coffee in one hand and a, a burrito or a wrap or something in the other hand, maybe even a pie. And it's just exploding. He's, he's been nailed by the ball and it's going everywhere. Um, I, I don't know what you thought of the picture, Andrew. It's really something. It, it, yeah. That that's it. He got. I don't know. We've seen it. Uh, seen this happen before. He's not the first guy to get hit by a stray object at a sporting event that was holding uh, something. It's on. You see it on Sports Center's not top ten every week. It's it. Yeah, but what it's made almost this so like special to you? I didn't. I didn't understand. I just think it's amazing because it's caught right at the moment of impact and explosion. I I thought I thought the food stuffs going everywhere was funny. The fact he's wearing a pristine white T-shirt is hilarious to me. I mean, no, okay. no, yeah. Uh, I had I was, a good laugh about it. I was at a Sligo Rovers match recently, and they right before the game started, they they noted that people in the front row or in the stand at all should be should be wary of of fly of um, stray balls. Yeah, they they make it sound like a, like you're at Sea World. <laughs> yeah, but maybe you know when you're when you're in the high seats of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the brand new stadium, you don't get hit by the ball. So I guess it's a real thing. I mean, for... they also have seats next to the pitch, just like any other stadium. Yeah. Does it not apply? I, um, I, I saw one, JJ, something on the internet this week. Oh. Um, you and I talked about this off the air, but it was worth mentioning before we get out that uh, the tackle that Antonio Rudiger had on Aiden Hazard during, I mean, it's not even like a scrimmage. They're just, it's just like no, a... No, it's a rondo. It's They're in like a, a circle. Yeah. They're, it's keep away. And by the way, it's so relaxed. Like, no one gives a damn. There's a guy with one guy has his hands on his shoulders. And out of nowhere, like, it goes to it goes to Hazard and just swooping in with a terrible tackle, going full Leroy Jenkins. Leroy Jenkins! Is Antonio Rudiger. What's he thinking? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, Crazy. it was wild to me. Absolutely crazy. Uh, I got to get through this, Andrew. There's more to come. Uh, Training for PSG. Messi scores a brilliant goal. He turns Sergio Ramos, his now teammate, former foe, inside out. Ramos slightly clips him. And after Messi buries the ball beyond the goalkeeper, he stares out Ramos. Yeah. Like he really gives him the evils, like almost like, yeah, you see, you try and stop me. That's what happens. Is this still like, is this holdover Barcelona Real Madrid stuff? That's just like buried deep down that every once in a while kind of like bubbles to the surface and then it subsides again, but like something else will then cause it to flare up. I wonder if this just is a continuous cycle. I think so. And it's messy just saying, just remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who I am. (laughs) Or who I am. Yeah. I mean, Ramos is a great player, but Messi, you know, he needs to remind people sometimes. Yeah. And Ramos comes over to him, puts his arm around him and and tries to placate him. And and in Ramos's, in the story of Ramos's life, which I'm sure we'll see, this music is playing. What what is this song? Real human being and a real hero from Sergio Ramos's documentary and also the oh, soundtrack to the award-winning film Drive. Andrew, we're going to Italy next. This is just this is just unbelievable. Uh, Paolo Dybala 
has left Juventus. We saw his tearful exit at the end of last season. He's going to the rejuvenated AS Roma. And what a welcome he got at the Palazzo della Civiltà. No, I'll try that again. The Palazzo della Civiltà Italiana. Uh, current home of Fendi. In the past, uh, apparently I was doing my research, it was an example of fascist era rationalist architecture. It was built in the 1940s and late 1930s. So, but anyway, it's a pretty impressive looking kind of building and uh, just thousands of fans there with, I mean, it's the most amazing light show, an introduction. And here's what it sounds when, uh, what it sounds like when Dybala is introduced to, to the adoring Roma fans. Signori e signori, la coscia numero 21, Paolo! 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 So I'm glad you mentioned this, JJ, because I wanted to I wanted to kind of almost clarify something about this. You know, I have a lot of friends like you do that aren't really soccer fans. They're sports fans, but right. like They'll they'll see this, and they'll say to me, "Boy, soccer fans are just different." Yeah, and they are. And I want to say back to them, like, no, 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 no. This is like even by soccer fan standards, I don't know what this is. <laughs> like, this is like, have you seen? I mean, we see stuff in stadiums where like a lot of fans will come out and they'll do an unveiling in the stadium. But this is like, like if you just took that clip. And showed it to me. I mean, I would have thought that Roma just won the Champions League, or that 100%. Italy, or that Italy just won the European Championships. Like that is the turnout they had to unveil a player who was brought there on a free, who is good. Yeah. Right. Like he's good. Right. He's not Messi. He's not Lewandowski. Like. He's I, not. I, I, like even even the most hardcore of soccer supporters must have seen this and thought, "Whoa, they, oh, like, I could, this is I, different." Now, first of all, the fans are amazing, but the production of this is so big. Like, Roma are riding the wave of, I know everything wasn't perfect last season, but, like, the finish to the season winning the Conference League, which obviously Saga Rovers are going to win this season, but mm. that that whole buzz, there is a buzz around Roma right now, and they're riding this wave. I could not believe it. It's a tremendous pressure on Dybala, um, and... Just the the way they they chanted his name. The guy hasn't kicked a ball yet. Yeah, it's it's completely unbelievable. This all starts with one man. Respect, 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 man, respect. Yeah, they've got to finish higher up the table this season. I mean, they have a huge amount. This a huge amount of season tickets sold. Um, they're dwarfing their crosstown rivals Lazio, but they need it. They need a strong finish. Now they need to. They need to go that next step, I would think, and I wonder if it's within um, Mourinho to do that. But maybe it is. Maybe Tot in, in... Uh, Tottenham and Roma play. Mourinho will have a chance. They'll, they'll be reunited this weekend on Saturday uh, in a preseason friendly. I, and I can, uh, I can think of one person who will be clapping. Who will be clapping? Me. Okay. Um, <laughs> finally, there was just an amazing video going around. Anthony Robinson's card trick. I mean, what is there left to say about this, except I have no clue how he did this wizardry. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, he basically tells a story as he's dealing cards, splitting the pack, and each card corresponds to his sentence that as he drops the card, 
the card is just like revealing the story and it's all perfect he doesn't miss a beat he doesn't stutter it's it's amazing they don't call him jedi for nothing they don't and one more thing on a us mnt uh, bent people are talking about da- uh, the article in the daily mail sport where the us men's national team will be based in a luxurious doha hotel where a suite can cost up to $16,500 a night when they arrive for the tournament in Qatar this winter. I wasn't that shocked by all of this because I, I see it as as a pretty opulent kind of place. So, yeah. Maybe that's... Uh, maybe that's not so shocking that it's as expensive as that, but people have been sharing this. And that's what I saw on the internet. Very cool. I enjoyed that very much. I hope all of you out there enjoyed this week's podcast. We'll be back next week with our EPL preview. I can't believe it's here. I'm so excited for it. It should be it should be a lot of fun. I always enjoy those, getting everybody ready, getting ourselves ready for the start of the season. JJ, good stuff, my friend. To you, I say... Take it later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 